Hey guys, quick podcast audio caveat on this upcoming episode. There will be certain parts intermittently throughout this episode where you may hear me pop in and it sounds like I'm reporting from Atlantis or whatever. Uh, That is because some of the audio got corrupted in the process of editing. And so that would be me just trying to put that audio back together. I had to re-record some parts. So if it sounds like I'm popping in from somewhere entirely different and it sounds like I'm more echoey, it's because that's exactly what happened. So hopefully that doesn't throw you off, but just wanted to give you guys a heads up. So otherwise, please enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where when it comes to cap space and off-season maneuverings, the only space the Lakers will have this summer will be Space Jam. No cap. <laughs> Literally. And also, as the kids say it, no cap space, no cap. Hey, but at least Space Jam 2 is the number one family film in America. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley, who is once again joining us from a hot air balloon as he has to do this recording while driving. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Have you seen Space Jam 2 yet, the number one movie in America? Yes, I have. I watched it yesterday. (laughs) Did you watch it in theaters or like HBO Max? Hell no, not in theaters. (laughs) (laughs) Smart. Smart. Uh, Your quick thoughts on Space Jam 2. So I'll just set it up really quickly. So I watched with Tommy and uh, just went to his place and he was playing Space Jam through Spotify, uh, like the opening credits from the original one. And um, we we just kind of danced to it and like vibed to it for a little bit. And his wife, Nicole, was looking at us like we were crazy, but it was so fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, like I put myself back in 1996 when I was seven years old and you know, just pretended I was that kid and I knew what, like, coding was and all that as that existed in 96. And, uh, yeah, with that sort of uh, mindset, I thought it was freaking great. Nice, man. Yeah, I have yet to watch it, but I do have HBO Max, so I'm probably going to watch it this week. Um, I mean, the visuals look great. And also Eric Bauza, shout out Eric Bauza, who does the voice of Bugs Bunny and a bunch of other characters. Oh, yeah, dude. Filipino-American, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and he also does a bunch of voices for some of DreamWorks uh, animation TV characters. So I've gotten to work with him uh, as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. But, yeah, glad you guys had fun jamming out to Space Jam and also watching Space Jam 2. With that said, for today's episode, we're not going to be talking about Space Jam. We are going to be talking about cap space. And while we may not have any, uh, we do have a cap expert on to break down all the possibilities that the Lakers can do this offseason with uh, limited tools at their disposal. So in just a bit, we'll have on Yazi Goslin of Hoops Hype to go through this year's purple and gold cap sheet and give us sort of a salary cap 101 on what the Lakers books look like and what they can do. 
Uh, and then after that, since the draft is coming up this week, Alan and I will give our final thoughts on the Lakers draft direction and maybe some predictions. If you haven't yet done so, make sure to check out our last episode. It is a draft deep dive with Keandre, a.k.a. Hoop Intellect, for more draft Nick type talk. Uh, we also have a free agency episode with Tommy, the episode before that, I think it's episode 356, as well as a trade hypotheticals episode in 355. If you want to check out all of our off-season content, make sure to check out the prior episodes to this one. Also, as I've mentioned on Twitter, we're happy to now be part of the fan-sided family and to be featured as the official Lakers podcast for the Lake Show Life fan-sided website. So make sure to check out lakeshowlife.com to catch all of the late-breaking Lakers news, as well as the Lakers Legacy podcast. And obviously, please rate interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app as well. Okay, before we get to more draft talk and also the meat of our episode with our interview with Yazzie Goslin for some Salary Cap 101 stuff, uh, I thought we could cue Yazzie up with some free agency talk first. Uh, so, Alan, what are your thoughts on the Lakers' limited arsenal of weapons uh, this offseason? They don't have the biannual exception to use anymore because they used it on Wes Matthews last year, and then you can only use that once in any two-year given period. And... Because they don't have a lot of cap space unless they trade some dudes, they'll likely only have the $5 million mini mid-level exception to use. So I have a two-parter question for you. One, do the Lakers use that on Andre Drummond? If no, who would you rather they use that $5 million mini MLE exception on? Do they use it on Drummond? Uh, I mean, I think there is a decent chance. It's not like zero but I also wouldn't give it an overwhelming, like, oh, yeah, 75%, you know? Um, what are your personal feelings, though, if you were in the driver's seat? <laughs> uh, well, you know, if Frank Vogel wants to give him more minutes so he can look like Kareem Abdul, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> then, um, yeah, I guess, like, I, I'd be down, right? But uh, I would not be terribly upset if we did not bring Andre Drummond back. That being said, I am open-minded enough to understand that this, you know, the end of the season was such a cluster F that um, we just didn't have a real shot at seeing what things could be. Um, we've seen the good Andre. We've seen the bad Andre. Uh, the bad Andre can, can really stick in your mind a little bit. But again, that was influenced by all the injuries and things like that. So um, I, I wouldn't be terribly upset if he came back. I won't be like pissed, you know. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I know it's extremely noncommittal and right down the middle. <laughs> so let's say, are there any free agents out there who, if Andre Drummond is out of the picture, that you would prefer the Lakers try and look at, whether it's a specific player or even a, a specific template of player that they should go after in lieu of Andre Drummond? Right. So, I mean, the focus is probably on getting a big right? Um, not just because Andre Drummond's big, but uh, with AD and the whole like playing the five thing, you know, potential injuries, whatever. And then Marcus all, we don't really know what that's going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, if he does come back, you know, he's, he's just older in general and he, he plays outside um, more, more than not. Uh, I know New Nerland's Noel has always been a favorite of ours to talk about yep. going all the way back to, would you trade Jordan Clarkson for Nerland's Noel type of days? Yeah. Um, so that he definitely stands out to me. I feel like he's like right there at that five million mark, though. Um, mm -hmm. Could probably grab more than that, right? Oh my god, I almost saw an accident right in front of me. Sorry, <laughs> <Be careful. laughs> I'm good. I'm way back. <laughs> Another, I don't know how I feel about this one, but I'm just gonna say it. So, so Daniel Tice. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, uh-huh. he's he's in that range lower for sure in terms of cost, I would think. Um, obviously, I think as Laker fans go, because he was a Celtic, you know, maybe we just implicitly sort of pay more attention to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a stretch. He can shoot. Yeah. Um, which is cool. <laughs> um, I feel like he does have some offensive game. You know, he's, he's scrappy. Defensively, I, I can't say I've watched him closely enough where I could make uh, an educated analysis. You know, like he seems mm-hmm. like a hustle guy, right? Yeah. Like, is, is he like a PJ Tucker who, like, guys score thirty on him every night <laughs> in these playoffs? And it's like, oh man, PJ Tucker's such a great defender. Um, but then his activity is there, of course, and he, he's always like in the middle of like these fifty-fifty plays and loose balls or whatever. So is Daniel Tice that type of dude? Um, or, yeah, like, what's his actual effectiveness? But the name popped out, for sure. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on him. This Cancer's another name that it's like, okay, mm. that guy doesn't really play defense. Like, we right. know that. Even though he puts up numbers, double-double machine, he's got, like, attitude, right? He's, he's definitely, mm-hmm. he's got some toughness-ish, in a way. Like, that's more the personality, I think, as opposed to real toughness, like Dwight, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's a name that I'm sure some people would float out there. I'm not super high on that by any stretch. I'd be kind of concerned actually if we sure. had him. Um, and then there's Dwight and JaVale. <laughs> Dwight and JaVale, I think, can probably be had for the vet minimum. The Daniel Tice and his cancer and Nerlens could definitely be had for the mini MLE. Cancer, I'm with you. I think his offensive game is very. He's obviously better than Andre Drummond, right? He has good hands, soft touch, et cetera, et cetera, but he gives you no defense. Daniel Tice is kind of like the happy medium of everybody involved, right? Uh, He can do a little bit of everything, not hurt you tremendously defensively or in any one area. So he definitely could be, it's kind of like a non-exciting pick, you know, for mini MLE, but it might just get the job done solidly, right? You just kind of need, he's almost like, 15 minutes of Marcus Gasol who can move better, kind of, you know, he doesn't, he's not as like smart as Marcus Gasol b-ball IQ wise, but he can give you like a poor man's version of, of what you're getting from Marcus Gasol, but in a younger body with better mobility. Um, so I guess my last question to you is let's rank, let's take Ennis Cantor out of this. I think he'll probably rank last regardless, but if you had to pick between Nerlens, Drummond and uh, Daniel Tice, how would you rank those guys? I'm going to go Nerlens one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably go Drummond two mm-hmm. and then Tice. Okay. Yeah, I think it's close. I think I would go Tice over Drummond, and I'll tell you why. I think it goes back to the politics. I just think Drummond mm. probably thinks too much of himself, and I don't know. I still don't know what the buy-in is going to look like. You know, Daniel Tice knows he's a role player. Does Drummond? True. I don't know. So. He thinks he's the coming of Kareem. You exactly. See me coming from afar. Hey, make sure to watch Dave on FX. Great show, uh, especially the episode with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I think Kyle Kuzma's in episode one or episode two as well. With that said, Yazi is going to be on soon, and he'll definitely give us his take on what. Andre Drummond might command on the open market, what Ennis Cantor, what Daniel Tice and Nerlens Noel might command, and whether the Lakers can even get some of these guys on the mini MLE. Um, so yeah, 
with that said, we will shoot it over to our sponsors first, and then you'll hear my interview with Yazi Goslin, and then we'll end this episode back with Alan to kind of give you guys a ramp up to the NBA draft because it is happening this week, and we'll just give our quick final predictions on what we think might happen on Thursday night. It's crazy that it's already here. So yeah, we'll take it to break first, and then after the turn, you'll hear my interview with Yazi Goslin of Hoops Hype for a Salary Cap 101 segment. The Olympics, Euros, baseball, major championships, and concerts are all in this summer. You know what isn't? A wild and hairy bush. Tame your pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Their fourth-generation performance package includes the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold, eh? Fellas, do right by your balls and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and using the code FANSIDED20. So look, as the world begins to open up more and more, the one thing that I've personally been looking forward to the most has just been watching movies at a theater again, getting that freshly popped bag of popcorn with four extra pumps of butter, and getting my ears blown off by that 5D, 6G, XD audio system that they have. But for the best movie experience, you need to be comfortable, and you need to be seated comfortably. And what helps you feel the most comfortable when seated? Neatly trimmed balls, of course. Here to help in that venture is the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. With a Lawnmower 4.0, you'll get a trimmer that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. So whether you're playing sports again or just sitting down on a cushy seat for the next two hours holding 600 calories of buttery popcorn, make sure you're seated comfortably with perfectly manscaped nether regions. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped. All right, so tonight we're pleased to have on with us cap expert and strategist Yazi Goslin of Hoops Hype to help us dot our I's and cross our T's when it comes to the Lakers cap space specifics this offseason. Yazi, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hope you found a good way to escape the sudden heat wave that's befallen on us in SoCal. But yeah, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. I've done my best to escape considering I live in the San Fernando Valley, so (laughs) I'm okay. For sure, that's rough. Before we get started, do you want to plug any of your work or where people can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Yossi Goslin. I'll often tweet about uh, transactions as they happen and some salary cap implications. I also am a contributor on Hoops Hype. I write articles there and I do, I'm on, I do their weekly podcast with Michael Scotto. You can find me there. Uh, as far as recent work, I just put out a comprehensive list of every player eligible for an extension this offseason or has their maximum amount and like a case for what could or couldn't might not what might or might not happen with there and i do have something coming out on the lakers pretty soon uh specifically about their uh how they can do a sign and trade for one of these uh young point guards that have been rumored so that's something we could also touch on there it'd be a nice little companion 
No, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, last year, Yazzie was a huge resource to me and a lot of Lakers fans just hopping into his DMs, asking him for specifics on whether or not the Lakers can do this and that. You know, I consider myself to be at least somewhat knowledgeable about cap space, but when it came to the Lakers hard capping themselves and all the specifics that go into that, I definitely needed uh, Yazzie's help to break that down. And so, Last year, I was like, I never want to hear the word tax apron and hard cap ever again. But here we are again with the Lakers potentially maybe hard capping themselves. We're not sure yet. You know, this year, the Lakers don't have cap space. I guess they potentially could if they traded away guys for nothing. But they are severely limited as opposed to last year as to what they can do. So I wanted to bring you in to see, yeah, what what the Lakers could possibly do with the mini MLE and what other movements that... They could potentially pull to, I don't know, extract the most amount of value that they can with the limited resources that they do have. But before we get into the Lakers-specific stuff, I guess let's just start out from the baseline layman's terms of never heard the salary cap before. Can you give us the quick lay of the land of the 2021-2022 NBA salary cap? So what's the salary cap this year? What's the luxury tax line? And then what's the hard apron? And then if you could explain what's the significance of these three different entry points. So all the cap number, the salary cap is projected to increase by 3%. And as of now, uh, there hasn't been any, there hasn't been any updates since uh, that was announced last off season. So I think it's safe to say that the salary cap will still fall at uh, one twelve point four million. Uh, the luxury tax would fall at one thirty six point six million, and the apron would fall at one forty three mil. Uh, right off the bat, I highly doubt the Lakers use cap space. I don't. That would require sacrificing even more than they're already going to have to do if they want to pull off a sign and trade or use the full mid level. So I don't think that's too relevant for the Lakers. Yep. Uh, as for the luxury tax, the luxury tax will definitely be relevant for them. They finished over the tax last year, and they can uh, they have a choice. They can bring back everybody and still use the, ta- the tax pyramid level, and things can get very expensive. Uh, I've ran several projections. I wouldn't be shocked if their luxury tax bill and payroll combined equal or exceed 275 to 300 million. Yeah. Or they can do what they did last season, hard cap themselves again. So they could either use the full mid-level or uh, pull off a sign-in trade. Uh, That would cap them their total team salary at 143 mil. So as long as they could get to the 14 player minimum, Within $143 million, then uh, they can potentially do a sign-and-trade or use a full mid-level. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So I guess on the outset, you already mentioned the Lakers likely won't have cap space, but what do they have to work with with regards to, let's say they bring back all players currently under contract? And let's not include guys who have question marks on them, like Trez, who has a player option. And I know it's been stated that he's leaning towards opting into that, but for the purposes of this exercise, let's keep him out for now. So he won't currently have Trez. Markeith Morris, the Lakers can give him a raise, but he's essentially an unrestricted free agent. Alex Caruso, THT, and Schroeder. And I guess we can include Drummond as well. So technically on the books, the Lakers have LeBron, Anthony Davis, 
Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Marcus All, and the number 22nd pick. Already, do you know what, how much they make up, just the people that are coming back? And no McKinney? You want me to include McKinney? Sure, let's include Alfonso McKinney. So their team salary would be at approximately 112.2. So they'd be right at the salary cap if Harrell opts out. And then that would be approximately 31 million below the apron. So So that's what we're working with. (laughs) So yeah, so like if if they want cap space, they'd they'd probably, to get significant cap space, then they'd probably have to salary them Kuzma and Pope. Right. But I think that's a lot considering that you'd be sacrificing those guys, Harold, and every single other free agent. So um, that's definitely not worth it. You could definitely keep several of, you could definitely keep one of Pope and Kuzma and potentially keep some of their free agents. Like, I I'm, I'm, I would figure they're going to prioritize Caruso and Taylor Horton and Tucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a way that they, they can be brought back and. Lakers could still possibly do a sign and trade or use their full mid-level. Right. And so I bring that up just because it just shows everybody what we have to work with with regards to just bringing back the people who are under contract that already puts us at the cap. And that includes Luau Deng's dead cap of $5 million, right, in that, in that projection. So with that said, sorry, quick tangent because you brought up McKinney's name. I know McKinney has a non-guaranteed contract um, for this upcoming season. Do, would you expect the Lakers to just non-guarantee him or like waive him or try and trade him in a bigger package just to free up that extra money? Do they even free up that much money? So 1.9 million. I think the only reason is uh, not, you know, you only start uh, having a little guarantee as soon as the season starts. So like each day, he's not fully guaranteed till the league-wide cutdown date in uh, January. So he's only going to count for the days he's on the roster. But if they want to, uh, I guess the only rush to cutting him now would be if they need to maximize their space below the apron to potentially sign and trade for someone. Uh, That would be the only rush for them to cut him now. If they're going to be operating by re-signing everybody, in which case they don't really need the flexibility, then... Maybe they hold on to McKinney in case a trade happens and they need some extra salary. Mm-hmm. But probably, I think there's a good chance they do cut him before the season starts, largely because he's going to make $1.9 million. And just for the sake of saving money below the luxury tax, you can get a, a, vet, a one-year veteran minimum for $1.6 million. So just, right. you know, not only $300,000 in savings, but if they have a deep luxury tax bill... That actually could mean like a couple million, depending how deep they go. Right. If they have a deep luxury tax bill or they hard cap themselves, right? Like every, literally every cent counts at that point. So with that said, right now the Lakers have the minimum level of about $5 million to avail of. Now I asked you this question on Twitter, but what would it take for them to open up the full standard MLE of about $9 million, which they used last year to sign Trez? And I guess paint the picture for us of just how hard it is for them to even open up that space. Right. So if they were going to not bring back most of their free agents or even all of them, then right there you open it up. Uh, it just depends who they want to bring back. So like I said, my, I would guess that they want to bring back Taylor Horton, Tucker, and Caruso out of all their other free agents. Mm-hmm. So if they do something like 
they keep everyone else on the roster, but Harrell opts out. And then even if they're going to re-sign Horton Tucker and Caruso to like around the full mid-level exception, again, they don't need to use the full mid-level on them because they have their, uh, they have some form of bird rights on them. Mm-hmm. So uh, they could re-sign them to around that amount. I'm just guessing other teams will offer around that much to them. Getting When you're getting the 14 players, you would still not have enough to give the full mid-level uh, below the hard, and stay under the hard cap. So you probably need to move off one of Pope or Kuzma uh, for someone much cheaper or potentially not bring back one of Horton Tucker and Caruso. Again, it just depends what sure. their goals are, who they're prioritizing. Uh, maybe you can get off Marcus Gasol. Uh, maybe you could trade their number two pick uh, in a deal where they get like a high second rounder because you only have to pay them uh, approximately like 900000 versus uh, the $2.3 million. There's a bunch of small things they could do. It just, it's, it's tough because there's so many little things the Lakers are very close to being able to do, but the ghost of Luol Deng's dead cap <laughs> hit still haunts them and yeah. makes things just a little more difficult than they need to be. But yeah. at the same time, I I think a lot of these things, like whether it's they use the full mid-level or perform a sign-in trade, they're still doable. It just depends how much money uh, whoever they prioritize going to require. Right. This is the best defense Luo Deng has played for the Lakers in his time with the Lakers. Um, okay. So with that said, I have some quick hitter questions for you before we, we dive deeper. So let's say that the Lakers do hard cap themselves and take on a, a sign and trade player from another team. So guys like Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Spencer Dinwiddie, Lonzo Ball, they all fit that sign and trade bill that will hard cap the Lakers. Now with Montrez Harrell potentially opting into his contract, that's $9 million more million the Lakers will have to account for on their books while also trying to stay below that 143 hard apron. In freeing up additional money, I've been trying to look for creative ways that they could do that. So one question is, all right, we're not sure about Marc Gasol's future with the team. If the Lakers agree to a buyout with Marc Gasol or Marc Gasol decides to retire, does his $2.6 million count on their books? So if he's going to get bought out, then whatever the buyout is, it'll decrease his cap hit. So it's $2.7 million. If you were to give back one million, then okay, you save one million right there. Mm-hmm. But with with Gasol, uh, assuming he's going to continue playing, getting off him really is going to be very easy because he's uh, a pure minimum contract. It was a two year minimum deal. Any team can just absorb him. They don't need mm-hmm. any uh, trade exception or anything. You can just as long as the team isn't already hard capped and close and, and then close to it. They can just, any team could really trade for Marcus on. He was still very productive last year. I think there's still a handful of teams that will be interested in him if he and the Lakers decided to part ways. So I think that's probably one of the easier salary dumps the Lakers could do. Okay, great. Good to know. Um, now, with regards to you mentioned it a bit earlier, the Lakers number 22 first round pick. How much cap space does that currently eat up? And let's say they trade back into the second round and have a second rounder instead. What's the difference between those two picks cap hold, I guess? And how much does that save the Lakers? So yeah, the Lakers, the 22 pick 
it's projected to uh, cost just under two and a half million. Uh, that would be the salary. So mm-hmm. one other trick they could do is let's say a team with a very high second round pick is interested in that. You know, they can do some kind of trade where maybe they trade a future pick, but they're also swapping the their high second rounder this year for the Lakers 22. And when you uh, when you acquire a second round pick, there's no rookie scale you're bound to. You could pay him a little more than the rookie minimum, but the rookie minimum is projected at nine twenty five thousand. So we're talking right now. The difference between the number twenty twenty two pick and the rookie minimum is about one and a half million, something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's a big that's one other trick the Lakers could do if they don't find if someone that uh they're if they don't get anyone they're totally interested in at twenty two, but there's potentially someone in the second round. That's one option they could do. Obviously, try to extract more value for that uh, trade down. Yeah, I mean that's the trick they mm-hmm. could do. Now, let's say on draft night, the Lakers do make that move. In your eyes, would you kind of see that as smoke that maybe they're looking to hard cap themselves, or is it too early to tell at that point? Um, there's That would definitely be a sign to me that they're trying to create as much flexibility as, as possible. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the good thing, though, is that this type of trade doesn't even need to happen on draft night because mm-hmm. uh, until you... Until you sign the pick, the right. there is no the player salary doesn't count. It actually takes a month after you sign your first round pick, where after that, if you need to use his salary, it takes one month after you sign him for his salary to actually be uh, included in salary matching. So you could just trade the pick. It'll just kind of it's it's just like this asset, but it doesn't really count. Like you give as many picks as you want, but it's not going to count towards the salary. So. They could do that even later uh, mm-hmm. once they know they have something lined up. Gotcha. That makes sense, and that's good to know. Now, with regards to including the number 22 pick in, let's say, sign-and-trade deals, what's the order of events that that has to happen? Obviously, they'd have to make their pick first, right? And because free agency happens after that, um, and sign-and-trade deals happen after that, whatever team they execute a sign-and-trade with would just have to be good with whoever they picked at that spot, right? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm, there's a probably, you know, a, a good possibility that this stuff is discussed ahead of time. Sure. Um, you know, the draft's only going to be three days ahead of the start of free agency, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm sure these discussions are going to be ongoing ahead of time. So if, let's say the... I think some of the guards, that, the most realistic guards, for example, could be Spencer Dinwiddie or potentially Lonzo Ball, but maybe closer to Spencer Dinwiddie because mm-hmm. of the uh, potential price. So, you know, hypothetically, they can have something lined up with the Nets. And uh, if, for, if the number 22 pick is required, then potentially they draft someone uh, that uh, needs to be, that the Nets wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Just because they're the, they're so close to each other, the the draft and free agency, I would assume that that if they're gonna trade the pick, they'll already have something lined up. Yeah. But um, at the same time, if you're now, now the other thing you're asking, I guess, is like salary matching. If the pick can be included to match salaries for mm-hmm. the sign and trade. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you would have to sign the the player first, wait a month, and then you could salary match him. It's what it's like what the Cavs did with Andrew mm-hmm. Wiggins when they were trading for Kevin Love. They that deal got delayed because they needed to wait a month till after they signed Wiggins so they can include him in the salary matching part. Right. So it's just you agree in principle, and then the trade officially gets executed like a month down the line, correct? Yeah, but I don't think they'll even need their draft pick to salary match for a potential a sign and trade because mm-hmm. there's for, I don't think they'll need that much salary because they can't get someone they can't get somebody too expensive uh, and stay hard cap like they cannot acquire a guy like Chris Paul or Lowry Mike Conley DeRozan right. just some guys that could run for like twenty to twenty five million plus on the first year. That's just not doable while factoring in how much LeBron and Davis make. You're not going to be able to fill the rest of the roster under the hard cap. So right. that's why I came back to like Dinwiddie and uh, Lonzo Ball as an example. Um, but again, probably closer, probably Din, uh, Dinwiddie is a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Let's stick on those two players actually and talk about sign and trade deals. And I wanted to ask you. What triggers the hard cap for the Lakers when it comes to sign and trade deals? Because I was a little confused beforehand where I thought any player who signed and traded, like let's say the Lakers sign and trade Schroeder and sign and trade him out, that that hard caps them. But is it true that it's really if you're trading for a player that is signed and then traded to you, that's right. what hard the, caps you? It's, it's the latter. So when you acquire the free agent in the sign and trade, then you're hard capped. If you're if you're even if you're if you're trading the player if you're trading the free agent uh you don't get a hard cap the only thing that really matters to the team sending out the free agent is base year compensation mm-hmm. so for example uh if the lakers are going to sign and trade Schroeder without taking back a free agent so like we're not talking about a double sign and trade just they're sign and trading Schroeder maybe for someone that's already got on an existing contract mm-hmm. so Let's say Schroeder is going to make $20 million on the first year. Well, base year compensation requires that the outgoing salary in the trade is either 50% of the first year salary or his previous salary, mm-hmm. whichever is higher. So in that case, it would be Schroeder's previous salary, which is $15.5 million. So the Lakers mm-hmm. could bring back approximately like $5 million more than that in the assignment trade. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. So with regards to guys like Lonzo Ball and Spencer Dinwiddie, do you want to run me through your hypothetical scenarios of how the Lakers could make that happen? And now, while I know that you focused on Spencer Dinwiddie in your article, I think a lot of the same logistics, sign-and-trade-wise, applies to guys that have recently been rumored to the Lakers, like DeMar DeRozan, if the Spurs do a sign-and-trade with him to the Lakers, or Kyle Lowry, to get them closer to the salaries that they want. So yes, please walk us through your Spencer Dinwiddie sign-and-trade hypothetical. Yes, yeah, so, and this is uh, this, specific, this specific one with Spencer Dinwiddie is what I'm going to be writing about. Again, I, I don't know what the Lakers' plans are. I only have my opinion on what their priorities are, but... Just based on how last season ended, as soon as Anthony Davis got hurt, the Lakers just completely just they they just completely fell off. And while there is the argument that okay, as long as LeBron and Davis are healthy, they have a they have just as good a chance as anybody, that's true. But at the same time, why commit to the rest of this team 
when you've also got the Clippers who won around after Kawhi got hurt and you got the Nets who they won a couple more games after their injuries. Uh, I don't know if this team's really worth getting super invested into the luxury tax for outside of LeBron and Davis Pope. Um, and then, you know, a handful of other guys. So mm-hmm. if the Lakers decide, you know what, this roster isn't, we got to change things up. A lot of our role players, they're not really worth breaking the bank for. Let's scale back a bit and try to get a different point guard. Because it seems like they do want a new point guard uh, based on some of the reports out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, I named a couple guys that I think is unrealistic. And uh, Mark Stein reported about Lonzo Ball. The Lakers would like to try to do whatever they can to get him. Uh, and then there's been some reports on Spencer Dinwiddie. I believe Christian Winfield spoke about uh, he has an interest in returning to Los Angeles, whether it's the Lakers or Clippers. Clippers, very unlikely. They have more, uh, they have much higher expenses already going on as once they re-sign Kawhi, assuming they re-sign Kawhi, which makes them almost like just not really viable for giving Dinwiddie something substantial like something kind of closer to his market value Mm -hmm. so but in the example i'm mainly using dinwiddie because i i get the feeling lonzo will get offers maybe closer to like north of 20 mil annually Mm -hmm. uh, and that could complicate things for the lakers so uh i've been using profit x that new software that uh they make player salary projections and it's a fine tool, you know, it's not perfect by any means, but for, for a certain amount of players, I think they do a pretty good job of projecting salaries. And they had Spencer Dinwiddie something on like 18 million annually with like mm-hmm. something 16 million on the lower end. They, they, they give you like a high, the median, low. So I thought, okay, you know what? I, like, in my opinion, I could see Dinwiddie getting something that starts closer that or that averages 18 million annually like i don't i think that's pretty realistic for him that's that's pretty good especially considering he just had the acl injury so uh if the lakers wanted to get a guy like him uh they'd have to sign and trade it for him of course and uh i think one scenario that uh, i could see the nets being interested in is what if the, uh, they want Kyle Kuzma in return mm-hmm. for Spencer Dinwiddie? And even when you factor in base year compensation, that it still works. Uh, Kuzma, if they trade Kuzma, they can take back an additional $5 million on top of his $13 million. So they could give Dinwiddie up to $18 million. So right mm-hmm. there, the Lakers do have the, uh, the means to sign and trade Dinwiddie without like giving too much assets. And they could pay him something pretty respectable. I don't. Maybe he then we could get more on the open market. But uh, let's just. I just want to with that example. So sure. that's number one. So they can do that. Now, who else do you want to prioritize? Would you agree that uh, like Caruso and Taylor Horn Tucker guys are probably willing to pay maybe around the mid level too? Yes, I think for THT. The full, the standard mid level, right? Caruso, I'm hoping more the mini mid level in terms of amount, but we'll see. Okay, so, uh, but like, would you agree? Like, they're the two 
free agents most, that are probably going to be most prioritized? For the Lakers. Yeah, for yes, return free agents. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. No, yeah, so I just want to like just you know, get that out cuz like I'm I that's my feeling that they're going to prioritize getting those two back. They seem like, you know, they are very high on Horton Tucker going forward and Caruso's Caruso, you know, like how they can't let him go. <laughs> so, uh I so you know, I don't I don't really want to like come up with my own projection salary projects i don't like i don't want to say like how much a salary a player is worth but i looked up profit x and they had uh taylor horton tucker something at like 11 million a year and they had crusoe value like seven and a half million a year mm-hmm. and and that kind of makes sense because i feel like both guys probably get offered the full mid-level from other teams okay so let how do we factor these three free agents while filling out the rest of the roster getting the 14 players and I don't want to overcomplicate it. I'm going to just assume Gasol and the number 22 pick are still there. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's say you can get Dinwiddie on a four-year 72 mil. So you can make that first-year starting salary as low as like uh, just under 17 mil. Okay. So you can give him some. You can give him that, and then you can give. Let's say they give Caruso like actually seven and a half mil, exactly like that projection. And then let's say Talon gets slightly less than the uh, full mid-level on the first year. And I'll touch on Talon Horton Tucker's free agency. I don't think he's going to get that like ridiculous four-year poison pill maxes. Yeah. That, I, I don't think that's happening. But So I'm just going to assume that he gets like around the full mid-level something slightly less. You can then uh, sign six more veteran minimum players. So the roster would be LeBron, Davis, Dinwiddie, Pope, Horton Tucker, Caruso, Gasol, the pick, and six minimum contracts to get the 14 players he finished right at the hard cap. And this is the projection that I am going to outline in the article when it comes out. Gotcha. Okay, great. So in in your scenario here, it's literally just a one-for-one Kyle Kuzma for Dinwiddie swap. Yeah, like I said, that uh, it works. Like they can give Dinwiddie up to 18 mil. Maybe they could uh, get that first year salary a little lower. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I think 472 for Dinwiddie is pretty is like very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with considering that uh, Caruso, you know, we'll we'll see how they could factor in Caruso and Horton Tucker. Maybe they have to give both those guys a little more, and that's where like potentially getting off Marcus Saul or trading their pick, getting a second rounder. That's when you can like trim the hedges a little bit if you yeah. need to pay those more of those guys. But I think that would be a very great case sign and trade scenario for the Lakers. Um, I, I really like Dinwiddie. I think yeah. he's a really good starting caliber point guard. He might not be as, uh, he, he might not be as talented as some of the other point guards I mentioned, but I think he's a heck of an upgrade at starting point guard. And I, in my opinion, you know, you lose Kuzma, you lose Harrell, you lose uh, Schroeder, and then some of the other free agents. Uh, but I think that is worth taking this swing at a, at a guy like Dinwiddie if you can also keep Caruso and Tucker. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Dinwiddie is essentially what Lakers fans hoped Schroeder would have been last year. On top of it, Dinwiddie has size and can get to the free throw line. And, 
He doesn't shoot well from three-point land, but he shoots at a good volume. And before he went down with his ACL, I mean, he was, what, career averages of like 20, 20 points, six assists. So I, I definitely see your point with Dinwiddie there. And I want to clarify again that because the Nets are signing and then trading Dinwiddie, this is what hard caps the Lakers, right? Right. And again, same rules apply for Kyle Lowry or a DeMar DeRozan sign-and-trade. I think in that scenario, if the Lakers are going to hard cap themselves in a sign-and-trade, I would prioritize DeMar DeRozan, or I would prioritize Kyle Lowry first, then DeMar DeRozan, then Spencer Dinwiddie in terms of sign-and-trades. So my next question to you is, let's talk about THT as it pertains to sign-and-trades too, because it's a little complicated because one of my questions to you was, can the Lakers sign and trade THT while his free agency is sort of still up in the air because a potential team may give him an offer? So let's say a potential team gives him an offer. If the Lakers match that offer, they can't sign and trade him after that, can they? Yeah, they cannot. Once he actually signs an offer sheet, all the Lakers could do is either match it or let him go. Okay. Gotcha. Now they they can trade him eventually at the trade deadline or like next year, right? But not during the off season. So if they match or re-sign him, he's not going to be trade eligible until January. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can sign and trade him though. You know, if there's a, a team interested in him and the Lakers could get, you know, if they can get the type of players they're looking for and they require Taylor Horton Tucker, they could sign and trade him. Uh, so the most they would be able to give him is his early bird maximum, which is like slightly over 10 mil. But he would only count as half of that in the outgoing salary. So like hypothetically, if, uh, well, I mean, it can't be for Dinwiddie because the Nets are, would, are way over the apron. But I don't know. Let's say maybe, okay, maybe Lonzo Ball because the Nets are, they have plenty of flexibility below the hard cap. They can they could hard cap themselves right now. If it was going to be something like Lonzo for Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, now the Lakers could give Lonzo something more competitive since they wouldn't be re-signing Taylor Horton Tucker. But to match, like let's say Lonzo's first year salary is twenty mil, so mm-hmm. uh, Tucker's only going to count as like five million outgoing, and they got to get to like fifteen mil. So mm-hmm. you still got to throw in someone like uh, Kuzma, most likely, or maybe Harrell Opson. You could throw him in. Um, so that's the only thing they could. They can sign and trade Horton Tucker. They just he's not going to count for that much in uh, in uh, salary matching. Gotcha. So they'd have to include a lot more in any potential THT sign and trade deals. And once he's signed by another team, the Lakers cannot then trade him away after they've matched. But I think you'd agree that in a scenario like that, they're in close communication with THT. And if they plan to sign and trade him another place, they would make sure that that THT would not sign an offer sheet with another team. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, the teams and player, the teams and players are a lot more communicative about these things. I'm sure, uh, I'm, you know, there's probably a good chance that they already have an understanding of what's going to happen, whether it's resigning him, maybe they already have something kind of lined up, or if he's going to sign and trade him, they might already have some destinations in mind, uh, potential packages kind of prepared. But uh, I do want to just comment on the the type of max that teams can offer Horton Tucker. Yes. It, it's something like four years, 80 mil, where the first two years would be the full mid-level, mm-hmm. and then the last two years would basically be the max contract for uh, 
players of like 25 the 25 percent max contract mm-hmm. um i don't think anyone's gonna really offer that i think so and, and the main thing is if you the last time that was offered the nets offered that to tyler johnson and i think they like put it at like sean marks put it at like a very specific number that he knew i think he knew i feel like they knew that the heat were gonna bite and they did i don't think they had really any business really wanting to pay him that much and they mm-hmm. so you know sean marks was really good at trolling offer sheets for a couple of years back then but um i so but more recently i want to look at fred van vliet and thomas bryant and okay. fred van vliet he was also in the same type of free agency situation as Taylor Horton Tucker's about to be in. And, you know, he accomplished more than Horton Tucker. Uh, same thing with Thomas Bryant in 2019. Like, I would say that in their first two years, both those guys did a little more than Horton Tucker. And no one offered them that type of contract. I mean, they would probably would have taken it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Van Vliet ended up resigning with the Raptors on a two-year, $18 million deal, and Thomas Bryan ended up resigning with the Wizards on a three-year, $25 million deal. Okay. So, like, for a team to actually offer that, the that these type of, like, four-year backloaded deals, even if it's not for the full max and it's something, like, kind of, you know, something that's still pretty high, it's pretty risky, uh, and it could easily backfire, um, sure. you know. So... And just seeing how like recent history, my feeling is that he'll resign with the Lakers uh, similarly, like on a short-term deal. So, and that's not bad because if you're Horton Tucker, you just made the minimum for uh, for two years. But let's say you resign with the Lakers on a two-year, twenty million dollar deal. Uh, if you add up all the money he's made in his first four years, he'll actually still have made as much money as the eighth overall pick in the 2019 draft. Mm-hmm. In his first four years, despite right. the first two years being minimum, so you're still gonna get paid just as high as a, a mid lottery level player from your own draft. Uh, that's still a lot of money. So obviously, you know, if a team's gonna offer him something ridiculous like four years and the heavy backloaded two years, yeah, I'm sure he'll take it. But otherwise, there's nothing wrong with taking a a pretty big a raise on your next two years and then you enter unrestricted free agency you're probably going to make even more going forward right those are all really good points and so for you if let's say the lakers resign him you're thinking that they'll probably resign him to that shorter end, like two years 20 million sort of contract uh something around there if i had to guess uh because i'm sure there's going to be teams off throwing the full mid-level at him so um but like like i said if i'm if I'm Horan Tucker, I would probably want to keep that deal short because right. uh, you're probably going to make more to, to, as soon as that deal's over, like assuming you're, you're meeting your trajectory. Mm-hmm. Quick question as we close the loop on THT. Let's say that a team does offer like 10, 10, 20, 20 or whatever, like a deal like that. So what is that? That's uh, 60 million over four years? Yeah. If the Lakers match that deal... What does Taylor Horton Tucker? How does he count against their cap books for those four years? Is it an even? Is it an even amount of cap, or is it literally the first two years he counts against their cap books as ten million dollars, and then when it raises to that twenty million dollar mark for the last two years, he counts against them for twenty? He just counts for the Lakers as much money as he is going to make uh, that given year. 
Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so let's do some quick hitters of now we kind of know what THT's value is. I wanted to get your thoughts on the value of some other Lakers players who are not under contract, but they may look to retain. So I guess first up, what are your thoughts on Markeith Morris's value? At this point, is he more valuable to the Lakers in terms of bringing him back? Uh, I know the Lakers can give him a raise of up to, I don't know, what, five, seven million dollars. But I guess out on the market, what do you think he can command? And do you think what realistic value do you think the Lakers could bring him back at? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. Giving a value on Markeith Morris is pretty tricky because mm-hmm. he ended up re-signing for the minimum. And oftentimes when a player, you know, a solid role player takes a minimum, they kind of like, there's like a stigma to it and they just mm-hmm. get minimum contracts going forward. Like ask Jeff Green, ask Austin yeah. Rivers. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I hope that hasn't happened to Morris. But, um, I mean, yeah, he did take the minimum. I think part of it, he, he was doing the Lakers a pretty big favor because they had uh, some hard cap issues last offseason to to deal with. But, I mean, I definitely think he's worth more than the minimum. Um, yeah. Maybe not too much more. At the, I, I would say his ceiling would be around the tax pyramid level. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, you know, maybe the Clippers try to steal him from the Lakers <laughs> to, to with that to uh, to pair him with uh, Marcus. Oh, yeah, they'd win the championship for sure if they did that. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> Go the good thing for the Lakers is they'll have his early bird rights. So they could, like like Tatum, they could give him the same amount they can offer uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. So if they, mm-hmm. they really want to bring him back and he's getting some big offers, they should be able to match just about any offer. Sure. Yeah, I'm hoping any realistic offer. I'm hoping if they do retain him, they get him back at like five million dollars. I'm sure they talked about it when he signed that contract last year, that there's some plan to make him whole if they do bring him back. But we'll see. Um, Let's move on to the much maligned and heavily debated Andre Drummond. I mean, do you have an idea or gauge of what his market is, especially given that it was kind of failure to launch with the Lakers? And then do you think that at this point he's mini MLE bound for the Lakers if they choose to bring him back? Uh, I do not know. I, I don't know where he stands with the Lakers. And I, again, another tricky player to put a evaluation on. Uh, I think you, you said mini mid level. I think that's a pretty safe, uh, that's a pretty safe number. Um, mm-hmm. my, I'm thinking that, uh, so last off season, you know, the Lakers won the championship. This was very good for big men. So many backup centers got the full mid-level. He got Montrez Harrell. He got Derek Favors, Mason Plumley. I was like, what? Like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and which is like against the trend. When the Warriors were winning all those years, the premium was for uh, three and D wings. They they were the ones getting like full mid-level plus. Yeah. So I think we're gonna go back to the the trend where you know, the, yeah, the wing players are gonna be prioritized and. Uh, backup level big men are probably going to get like the room mid level or the tax pyramid level. So assuming that is going to become the trend, then I would say, yeah, that's probably what Drummond's looking at right now. In my opinion, I wouldn't be totally shocked if somehow he signed, he got the minimum, but I, I, I think that's too far. I think most likely mm-hmm. 
many mid-level. He's still a very productive backup center. Maybe he just needs the right situation. Sure. Uh, a lot of these are tricky for the Lakers, as you know, because of how their season went and all the injuries. It was hard to evaluate where people fit and whatnot. And that goes for Montrez Harrell as well. Now, I know Eric Pincus has come out and said that he has heard that Montrez may be leaning towards opting into his player option. But what are you, and I guess we'll find out soon with the July 31st deadline approaching us fast, uh, but where do you stand in terms of whether or not Trez opts in? Because depending on what he does, I mean, that could significantly change the Lakers' plans with regards to whether they have to salary dump Trez to free up more space if they are hard capping themselves in a sign-and-trade deal, or if they aggregate Trez's $9 million salary into a sign-and-trade deal, because in some senses, maybe his expiring deal will, would be attractive to another team. But yeah, where do you currently stand on whether or not Trez opts in or opts out? So this one was tough. Uh, last week I had an article out where I made my predictions on what will happen to all the player and team options that were undecided. And with with Trez, I think the biggest thing will it comes down to two things: playing time and what other offers are out there. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are going to, you know, if you're going to opt out, you better. Hopefully, there's something out there where next year's salary is around that the same uh, amount he's making this year. But if I'm if my predictions right as far as the uh, what the market will be for backup centers, then there's a good chance he's actually losing money on his next year's salary. But um, ultimately, I I would predict that he's going to opt out. And the reason is, I I think there's a good chance he gets something close to what he made last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something out there because, you know, there's some of these cap space teams that could offer, uh, there's cap space teams that still need a backup center, they can uh, offer around the full mid-level. Maybe there's teams that are going to offer it to Harrell. Um, and so if he opts in, then you you kind of lose a lot of agency on what your future could be. And you take the risk of running another year with the Lakers. And who knows what the center rotation is going to be like. Who You know, I don't think he when he signed with the Lakers, he thought they're going to bring another center later, Drummond, to take – most or all of his minutes, depending on the night. And obviously, you know, the whole center is the whole center rotation was a whole, uh, that was a whole nother just level of drama, but yeah. So, and then if he does opt in, okay, maybe the Lakers trade him, but he doesn't really have that, you know, he doesn't have total control on his destination. Maybe the Lakers would want to try to, uh, aggregate him and Kuzma together to get a certain target in which case, yeah, he doesn't really have much of a say where he's going to end up. Mm-hmm. So uh, if there's I, – I, yeah, my prediction is he'll probably opt out just to, to – you know, I think there's a good chance there's something out there for around what he was earning this year. And uh, if it's like a nice – you know, he's going to have a good opportunity, then I, I think uh, he'll opt out and take it. And I think also from his end, if he opts in, there's also a likelihood, like you mentioned, that he could be traded away where he has no say in where he goes, right? So I'd imagine he'd want some sort of control over that. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess if he does opt in, maybe he's banking on a team having his early bird rights and being able to give him higher raises after that contract, after that, that next year, if he performs well. Again, it's going to be dictated by the market, the big man market, and whether or not he can get something similar at a longer term deal. And if Trez opts in, you know, then the Lakers can aggregate more salary for a potentially huge Russell Westbrook trade or Kemba Walker trade. Some of these bigger names who are making like 37, 44 million. But regardless, if Trez opts in, that will give the Lakers at least one additional step that they'll have to keep in mind if they do end up hard capping themselves in any way. All right, last guy, what are your thoughts on Dennis Schroeder and what his potential value could be? Well, I'm not I I don't I'm not too confident he'll make he'll recoup the 84 mil that he yeah. over 4 he declined, which is like around 21 22 mil annually. But uh I don't think he's going to get that much less than that. I my feeling is he'll make around the same he was earning this year, mm-hmm. maybe a little more, but uh it'll still be pretty good value for him. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, he'll around the same, maybe probably a little bit more. So let's say the the Spencer Dinwiddie plans for the Lakers don't work out, or the Lonzo Ball plans don't work out. If they can get him at fifteen, at that point, do you say, okay, let's resign him because we just lose him for nothing in in that respect? Uh, After that, yeah, in that point, if there's no other point guards to trade for, even like on an existing deal, yeah, you you know, bring him back. You know, I, I things could still work out there. Um, yeah, I think my biggest fear with Schroeder is there's like a fine line between, yeah, he's giving you value and you're making sure that you don't walk away with nothing. And then he just becomes the next Luau Deng or Mozgov. I don't think it'll ever be that bad. But, you know, there's a fine line where the back end of his contract, let's say if they give him four years, he's still making 15, 16 million for some reason. And you're like, what am I doing with this guy? No, I was just saying with Schroeder, there was a lot of high the expectation was pretty high on him to be the starting point guard on a championship yeah. contending team. He's never uh, been in a role like this, so maybe not totally fair to him for to like just come demand all this on his first year. Yeah, but um, you know, this is the situation. Uh, maybe he doesn't want that. Uh, you know, we'll see what he what he really wants to do. But um, I wasn't. I, I, all I'm saying is I wasn't totally uh, surprised to see uh, that he performed the way he did. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely didn't think it would. Uh, it would. It would be this. He would. He would have performed like at this low. But uh, I wasn't totally. Just I wasn't totally surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, last question before I get to your final predictions. I wanted to ask you about KCP and whether you thought. How valuable is his contract? Because he does have uh, what a non-guaranteed contract the second year, where it's only four million dollars guaranteed. Is that attractive at all to other players? Like, let's say Trez does opt in or whatever. Is is there something to the Lakers maybe packaging Trez and KCP and having this almost like pseudo expiring trade package where they can bring on another player that another team wants that has mo- multiple years if if a team just wants to get off salary? Is KCP's deal more valuable or does his deal make him a little bit more valuable than normal because he is non-guaranteed that second year? Uh, To be honest, I have not really looked into the possibility of the Lakers trading KCP at all. Mm -hmm. No worries. You know, uh, I think it's a solid contract. uh, And unless they're going to get like 
an all-star, just just someone who can really game change for them. I I think they'd want to keep him considering they don't really have any other wings right now. I mean, the only one he's the only him and Kuzma are the only ones under contract. And even if you bring back Caruso and Tucker, you know, they're still kind of they're not they're still more like they're not really like wing types, they're closer to being guards just with their size. So especially if they do end up trading Kuzma. So uh, just because of the potential uh, lack of wing type players they could have heading into next season, uh, don't I just have a hard time seeing them trading Pope right now. Sure. Uh, and it'll and it'll be interesting to see what other wing size player they get because you know maybe you could bring back Wesley Matthews on his non bird maybe even the minimum I don't know what his market will be mm-hmm. uh, maybe you bring back Ben Malcolmore uh, maybe you can use the the tax pyramid level on someone um, yeah that just I think they need to hold on to Pope and, unless they just get. Unless something happens, they get a bunch of wing players at their set. Right, Carmelo. <laughs> um, okay, so here's final prediction time. Last two questions. I guess for you, and you can throw out anybody, this can be based off of your preference for types of players, but with the Lakers mini MLE at their disposal, who are your top like one or two options that you think that they should look for or look at? So mini mid-level area, some guys I can see the Lakers pursuing. You know, they need... Uh, if they're gonna have some issues getting a point guard, maybe they even lose uh, Tucker or uh, or Caruso. Uh, maybe they could try to get Patty Mills. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can pursue Lou Williams. Maybe they could bring in. Uh, yeah, those are like those are a couple guys I think are might be gettable with the tax pyramid level. Uh, I think guys like Cameron Payne, T.J. McConnell, Reggie Jackson will be out of their out of the uh, tax pyramid level range. Uh, even Kendrick Nunn, I think he might get a little more than that. Now, so more realistically, I was just talking about their lack of wing players. I think if even if you bring back all those players, you get back Wesley Matthews. Even I, I, I would probably prioritize getting a veteran wing. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you can steal Nick Batum from the Clippers. Um, maybe uh, you can get Reggie Bullock back. He was. Mm-hmm. Really good for the Knicks. Um, I, I think they'll really want to keep him there. But, uh, you know, he's another guy they can look at. Uh, maybe Kent Bazemore, uh, Garrett Temple. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, Mo Harkless. Right. Uh, I would, those are some guys that if I'm the Lakers, or maybe bring back Avery Bradley. Even. I don't know if I mentioned Avery Bradley. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe even Andre Iguodala, uh, depending what happens to him. If he gets his team option declined, maybe he could be had for that amount. So there's a lot more wing players, in my opinion, that that are you know slightly below the full mid level can maybe be had for the taxpayer room mid level. I think there are more of those type of players you can get than a guard. Yeah. And you know, big men, it's not too hard to get a productive backup big man. The Lakers sure. don't need to have more than two. Yeah. So um, I, I think that is where if they have the taxpayer, they're able to use it, definitely prioritize some of these guys I just mentioned. Yeah. So when it comes to going back to our full mid-level discussion and opening up whatever space to get that $9 million, what sort of player do you think the Lakers would move heaven and earth for in order to free up 
that space. Did you would you say like if Kyle Lowry said, if you can free up the standard MLE for me, I'll I'll come to you guys for ten million dollars. Is that the type of caliber of player that the Lakers would be like? All right, I know we're giving up on this guy. We have to let this guy go. But Kyle Lowry says he's coming for ten mil. Let's do it. Uh, that would be if that happened. I think a lot of opposing teams are going to be really upset because that's like <laughs> that's basically like free Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, I saw the report from my, Mark Stein today that Lowry is going to be pursued by the Pelicans. They cannot. They already are able to get to like fifteen mil in cap space as mm-hmm. they stand and. Uh, if they can get off of bigger salary dump like Bledsoe or Adams, and they could get close to thirty million, so sure. Uh, I, I, and then he'd have a twenty-something mil. I, I mean, to, I mean to be more realistic, I guess you've got uh, guys like Danny Green could potentially maybe want to try to get him back. Uh, if Josh Richardson opts out, maybe you could pursue him. Uh, Otto Porter is a guy that mm-hmm. I think a lot of Laker fans have been talking about on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I'm again, I'm mainly concentrating on wings and guards. Uh, maybe you could try to get McConnell or Payne or Reggie Jackson, uh, but because uh, the the full the 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 full amount that uh, that their respective teams can resign him to isn't that much more of a starting salary than the full mid level. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe you could steal one of those guys. Um, there's Doug McDermott. I think he should get around the full mid-level at least. Uh, I mentioned Kendrick Nunn, another guy who should get around that amount. I don't, you know, it will be interesting to see where PJ Tucker and Rudy Gay, uh, where their mm-hmm. salaries are and or where what their priorities are uh, as far as uh, maybe I think uh, maybe they want to they're willing to give up some money to get a, another title uh, or to, to get a title. Alec Burks, may, you know, he's mm-hmm. been underpaid as of the most a couple of years now. Sure. Uh, if the Knicks don't bring him back, the Lakers could try to they could try throw something within the full mid level. I, th- I think out of these guys, though, there are probably only I don't even one or two guys that I would move heaven and earth like we've talked about to even free up that space because you're sacrificing so much else, right? To even just use what that full mid level versus the mini MLE, which is what a difference in like four or five million dollars. So, I, I think for the Lakers, they will probably stick with that mini MLE yeah, option. I agree. Um, and so, for my last question to you is, I mean, we're not going to hold you to this, obviously, but. Give me your prediction. Do the Lakers hard cat themselves by signing in, or taking on a sign and trade player, or do they try and just re-sign most of their guys and uh, try and reload on the edges with the mini MLE and, and veteran minimum guys? I think if an opportunity comes where they can, where like they can keep Caruso and Taylor Horn Tucker and get a guy like Dinwiddie, and it all works, they're able to fill out the rest, roster under the hard cap. I think if that is an actual realistic type of scenario i think they do it uh otherwise i think most likely they just re-sign schroeder uh which mean and then you know they don't really have much problems budgeting for caruso and horton tucker they can just uh, re-sign them without really worrying about any any uh hard cap obviously uh use the mini mid-level yeah, if the opportunity, if they're able to do the sign trade, I would guess that they actually take advantage of it. As long as it makes sense, they could still keep Caruso and Taylor Horn Tucker as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, just run it back. 
Yep. So we could be headed for a pretty boring offseason. We'll see. Uh, Yazzie, thanks so much for coming on and uh, breaking all of this down for us. I know it's super dense, but you do it in a very streamlined and understandable way. So thank you for doing that. Uh, once again, if you want to plug your socials and anything else that you have coming up during dra- the draft week and also free agency, uh, please go ahead and do so. And like I said earlier, you can follow me on Twitter at Yozy Goslin, Y-O-S-S-I-G-O-Z-L-A-N. And uh, just check me out on Hoopsype. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of what we just discussed. I'm going to have an article on it so you can see it in written form, see an actual projection to see how the money works. Yeah, just check me out on Hoopsype and Twitter. Cool. Thanks, Yozy. Sorry for butchering your name all throughout this podcast, but we appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you on Twitter. Thank you. All right, so we're going to take it to one more break. And when we return, Alan and I will usher you into the 2021 NBA draft with our final prediction. So sponsors first, and then we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. Thank you once again to Yazi Goslin, a.k.a. Yogi Main on Twitter, for sharing his insight and just educating us more on the specifics of the Lakers cap books this season. So yeah, to everybody who listened to that segment, Rubik's Cube, the Lakers offseason accordingly with the right math. So to close this show, wanted to do some last minute draft talk. Again, if you haven't checked out our 2021 NBA draft deep dive with Keandre, aka Hoop Intellect, make sure to check out our last episode, number 358, I'm feeling 22, shout out to a Taylor Swift song, uh, for all the best options in the late first round into the second. Uh, but Alan, with the draft on Thursday... It's gut check time. I just have a simple question to ask you. Sorry, that's another Space Jam quote from the first one when Daffy Duck says, it's gut check time. (laughs) There you go. Hey, so the Lakers this year have their best first round pick that they've ever had in the last couple years outside of the lottery at number 22. I think their last first round pick, their last highest late first round pick was number 25 when they picked Mo Wagner in 2018. Otherwise, they've either bought a second to draft THT or ZV or traded their first away as they did last year for Dennis Schroeder. Given that their cap sheets, their cap books could be very tight this offseason, as we just learned from Yazi, there are some things to consider with regards to keeping cheap labor on, like the number 22 pick, right? Where in previous years, we just trade them off. But who knows, maybe that pick could be of use as someone who's only making $2 million that could soak up some minutes for next year, especially if they're in the market for cheap labor. So there's that. But there's also the prospect of making that cheap labor even cheaper by trading back to the late first or even early second or trading out of the pick altogether to gain some extra cap space. Um, So with those caveats involved, Alan, where do you stand on the Lakers keeping their draft pick. You can give me your caveats, and then at the end, I want you to definitively say, yeah, I think this is the year that they're going to draft someone at number 22 and develop them, or I think they're going to trade back or just trade it completely. Um, I think if there were two potential outcomes, it would either be traded away for cap space or keep. I don't know about trading down. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of what I would like to see happen, and this is not very logical, this is just like what I'm hoping. I kind of want us to draft someone and I want to mm-hmm. uh, see them develop a la sure. THT. You know, um, we do such a great job, obviously, of scouting and, and things like that. And we find all these hidden gems, diamonds in the roughs, all those sorts of things. So uh, the fact that we haven't had our own pick, you know, in, in a little while since like the baby Laker rebuild days, like you're talking about, it would be refreshing 
just to yeah. go straight up with it and get a guy and be like, oh, he's actually here. And it's not just an asset. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And, you know, we've talked before about what types of players can be had at that point. And a lot of them are like those veterans, you know, and, and some of them are like 24 years old. So um, they, they could actually uh, make a difference and like contribute in, in a very tangible way as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of store and stash. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and I think at the Lakers position at number 22, again, that's like, you know, early 20s right outside of the lottery. Does it say anything if the Lakers don't pick, let's say, an older prospect who is more established, like a Chris Duarte that we talked about? Like, I guess will some sirens go off in your head if the Lakers pick like a 19-year-old at that pick? And I guess what I'm getting at is, I'm almost wondering if I should be excited if the Lakers pick some high-end prospect with a lot of potential at number 22, and if I should get my hopes up at us developing that guy, because I would almost wonder, are they just picking this guy to eventually trade him soon? You know what I mean? Or package him in a bigger package down the road? I don't know if you're thinking about that at all, or if you'd be... Are you worried at all that if the Lakers, say, draft a player who is 19, 20, almost like a THT with high upside versus that ready-made Chris Duarte, 22 to 24 years old, that will you allow yourself to get excited or will you be cautious that, hmm, they may have other plans for this guy in the next 30 days and I won't be comfortable until, you know, training camp starts? Right, for sure. Um, Yeah, that's definitely on the mind, I think that's like the one smoke signal we'd be looking for, right? So older guy, okay, cool, we're keeping him. Younger guy, ooh, could be something else up our sleeves or we do keep him. Uh, So either way, I guess I'd actually be excited. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, Now, I may not personally be as invested like in that individual just as a a person, which sounds very callous. Um, But the, the thought of us packaging that for something you know, bigger down the line uh, is also exciting in and of itself. Yeah. So uh, the answer is yes, I'll be excited either way. It's just a different type of excitement and like more versions of excitement, I suppose. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I, I think I'm with you in terms of wanting the Lakers to once again, you know, draft a player that they can develop because they do so well with those types of, you know, especially guys in the back end of the first round. Now, if they draft, let's say, like a Trey Mann, who's a very exciting, dynamic player, or a guy like Jaden Springer, who people have been talking about out of Tennessee, this dude's only 18 years old right now. He's going to turn 19 in September. I would allow myself to get momentarily excited, but then I would wait it out till (laughs) training camp starts to be like, okay, it seems like this guy is in our plans. All right, Alan, but here's my prediction. Now, I know that you just said you don't anticipate a trade down being one of the Lakers' options, but I actually think it could be a very viable option depending on how much they shake up the roster this offseason. With Trez potentially opting in and taking up $9 million more on their books, whether or not the Lakers hard cap themselves, but especially if they do hard cap themselves, I think they want to save as much money as they can where they can on the edges. Because even if they don't hard cap themselves, let's say, I don't think they want to be paying a huge luxury tax bill. So with that said, and this is a prediction that I made last year, it didn't end up panning out, uh, but I'm going to continue to throw it out there in hopes that it eventually sticks. But my prediction this year is I predict the Lakers with the number 22nd pick will ultimately trade out of that spot and trade down for a late first rounder or early second 
and pick up an extra second in the process, whether that second is in this year's draft or a future one. Um, this helps the Lakers save on some money while still also keeping on cheap labor. Now, if the Lakers stay at number 22, I think it's because an unexpected high upside prospect that they didn't expect to slip slipped, like an Isaiah Jackson, a Kai Jones, a Jaden Springer, a Zaire Williams type. If, if one of those guys uh, slipped to number 22, then maybe the Lakers just take one of those players. Um, so those are the four guys I'd say the Lakers stick at number 22 for. Kai Jones, Isaiah Jackson, Jaden Springer, or Zaire Williams. Otherwise, I think they trade down to the late first or early second because there are several guys who I think would be good fits for them who are bound to fall. Whether that's Jared Butler, Trey Murphy III, Chris Duarte, one or two of these guys is bound to fall into the late first and it would behoove the Lakers to trade down, save some money, and also get an extra asset in the process, especially in the likelihood that they end up hard capping themselves and have to be extra careful about staying under that $143 million hard apron. Now let's say the Lakers do trade into the second round and even pick up an additional second rounder. Some other names who could be available at that spot that they may look at are Trey Mann, Bones Highland, Cameron Thomas, Quentin Grimes, if you're talking about guards. And then if you're talking about like insurance bigs or, or a project big man, guys like Deshaun Sharp, Isaiah Todd, Nimius Keita, uh, Philip Petrusev, Jay Huff out of Virginia, Sandro Mamukalashivili. <laughs> He's a 6'11", exactly. versatile big man out of Seton Hall who, who can handle the ball and shoot. And Alan, your favorite, Balsa, Balsa Kabrivichiga. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. Ko, I'm honestly trying to pronounce his name. Koprivisha. Koprivisha? Balsa. My boy Balsa. Balsa Sounds is like life. Sounds like you're pronouncing. It's just the you know faucets on the syllable kind of thing. So you're almost sorry. Can you say that joke again? I totally missed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't that funny either. So okay. it's like a little joke. Uh, it sounds like you got uh, it's in there, and they're like in the right order. It's just the emphasis on the syllable. You know, you keep like you keep malfunctioning whenever you try and say balsa. So I think that that says all that needs to be said at this point. Um, uh, so yeah, balsa is seven foot one with a seven foot four wingspan. But these guys could fall to the late second round or be undrafted, which is why I kind of hypothesize that maybe the Lakers may, you know, kill two birds with one stone, still get their pick, but also save a little bit of money when it comes to their cap books. There's also Matthew Hurt out of Duke, who they worked out, who's like a Ryan Kelly 2.0, or maybe he's Ryan oh, Anderson. Oh, right. I love Ryan Kelly. <laughs> uh, so that's that's my prediction, Alan. I don't know if you like that or not. It's not as exciting as yours in terms of let's just get the best prospect available at number 22. But, you know, what if Chris Duarte does slip to 29 and the Lakers can make up some money while also getting the guy that they want who can contribute immediately? I don't think you'd be mad about that, right? No, no, no. Yeah, you, you definitely bring up a good point, like a possible caveat there is if one of these guys could be had later, just in terms of the value and savings that we can have at that point. Of course, I'm down for that. Yeah. And I, and I think I bring up the big men in the second round just because like if you even if you draft like let's say a raw big man prospect and you know he's not going to contribute right away, they're the big men are almost the types of prospects that you 
can take a gamble on even if they're young because if they're seven feet, you kind of just throw them out there, right, to soak up some minutes and bang with some bodies down low as big man insurance. And it's not like they necessarily even have to be polished as long as they have the measurables. So that's kind of why I bring up, you know, the Lakers potentially looking at a raw, young, big man who may or may not have tools, but just has the measurables and potentially one day could be developed into like a big man bruiser who could help soak up some center minutes for Anthony Davis. So keep a lookout for all those things. Again, more most of our draft deep dive thoughts will be found in the episode prior, episode 358. I'm feeling 22 with hoop intellect but otherwise the draft is coming up this thursday and then the free agency four days after that it's going to be a wild time alan are you ready i'm always ready now say balsa Kabrif- balsa kabrivicha balsa kabrivicha <laughs> wow you said that perfectly based off of my stuttering that's amazing <laughs> you know i'm an impressive impressionist extraordinaire so uh, what could i say Yo, watch us draft this dude, and we're gonna be—we are gonna have to stumble over this guy's name for the next year or so. So Balsa. Okay, so I, I finally just looked him up. I'm sorry, I, I'm done driving now. Okay. Balsa Kobrivicha. It's Kobrivicha, hard, right? Kobrivicha, maybe. I don't know if it's a ka, a sa, or a cha. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I I tried both ways on the fly, and it did not go well. Maybe it's Koprivica. Ah, Balsa Koprivica. Alan, you're a freaking genius, my friend. Now look yeah. up San- look up Sandro Mamukela Lashvili. Mamukela Lashvili. Where do I start? Sandra. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, Alan, one more time. Take us out with Balsa's name. Balsa Koprivica. There you go, Balsa. Come on down with the Lakers' number 32 pick as they trade the number 22 down, get a future second in the process, and save some cap space. All right, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Check out all of our off-season content. Check us out on fansided, lakeshowlife.com. And, Alan, it's draft time. It's free agency time. I will catch you then. Let's go, baby. Let's do it. All right, we'll catch you guys later. See ya. Peace.